The information provided on the Finesse Your Money podcast is not intended to constitute legal, business, financial or other professional or product advice. It is provided as general information only and is not intended as a substitute for personal advice from a qualified and licensed professional who is familiar with the facts of your particular circumstances. Ever asked yourself where your money is going? It's a common problem for businesses and people personally. Is it dumb luck to be successful with money? Or is it the smartest and most successful businesses and people that plan and understand the value and purpose of money across generations? Is your money out of control or needing some finessing? In the third season of Finesse Your Money, the theme is more than money. We're talking all things money with our inspirational guests, but we go beyond that to explore creating a legacy beyond wealth, success and stewardship among families, the energy and purpose of money, well-being and wealth, relationships and money, connection, being intentional and values. Listen in to hear some excellent tips from our guests and set yourself up for a bright, happy future with a stronger sense of purpose around money. Get ready to be inspired. I'm Janine Wilson, the host of Finesse Your Money. I've been a financial advisor for 10 years and an accountant beforehand for, well, many more years. I'm the founder of Finesse Financial Advisors. Hi, and welcome to Finesse Your Money. I'm Janine Wilson. Our guest today is Sarah Bartholomew. Sarah is the founder and principal of award-winning commercial law firm, U Legal. She has over 15 years experience as a lawyer and active practice in corporate and commercial law. Sarah is passionate about how organisations are set up to minimise their risks and maximise their potential. Sarah is the author of three best-selling books on governance and a TEDx speaker. She's the chair of the Catalyst Foundation Board, serves as the APAC Governance Director for the global not-for-profit The Entrepreneurs Organisation. In 2019, her podcast, Accountants on Purpose, was launched. I've been a guest. Yeah. Um, Sarah's passion is to provide leaders with the confidence and certainty to make bold decisions. I love that about you, Sarah. Sarah will tell you that she's driven by working with clients whose businesses have a purpose higher than profit. Welcome today, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm certain our listeners are going to get masses of value out of our chat today. Uh, and for our listeners, don't forget to stick around till the end. We'll let you know how to access some of Sarah's great resources. So let's jump in. Tell us more about yourself and your business and how you became known as the goddess of governance. So I started my business after being made redundant from my corporate role. I was seven months pregnant at the time and lost my job through a restructure, which wasn't a huge surprise because the company had been under severe financial um, trouble and one of my roles there was to help sell all of the non-core assets. So once all the non-core assets were sold, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to have a job just life-wise. I already had a toddler at home and it was a bit of a confusing time, I suppose. And then I just thought I could wait, you know, eight months and when the baby's six months old, I could start looking for flexible work. But funnily enough, it actually felt to me like less risk to start my own business and have five clients instead of one, which you are as an employee. And then if one let me go, it wouldn't be such a big deal. Yeah. I've been made redundant twice in my career 
And, you know, the word redundancy doesn't scare me, but when it happens, you sort of do take a step back and take pause and some people stick their head in the sand and some people stick their head up and make bold choices. So I love it that you made a bold choice at that point. And then so many things that were good kind of came from that where I realised that I could, you know, create a business that satisfies my values and we can help people that help people, not just big corporates, which I'd done before and, so it was really very big, life-changing experience for me. I'm pleased that you didn't wait too long. I think sometimes I've made some decisions in my career that I could have made much earlier and I'd be in a different place today. And, and I think women tend to do that. They sometimes prefer to hang on to that bit of security. Definitely. And lawyers as well in particular have a way of wanting everything to be perfect and jumping in at when the time is exactly right and, and just that time never comes. So just do it when it's hard because everything's hard anyway. That's right. <laughs> and my listeners will know that I often say perfection is overrated. You know, prolific is better. <laughs> is 100% agree. Mm. So the goddess of governance. Oh, yes. How did that come about? I actually had a client call me one day and he said, I'm just calling you because you're the goddess of governance. And I said, wait a minute. I just have to update my LinkedIn because I just thought it was gold. It's mm. alliteration. And I've subsequently gone on to trademark it. So now no one else can call themselves the goddess of governance. Awesome. <laughs> what, a, what a gift. <laughs> Exactly. I know I should send him some cherries for Christmas. <laughs> that, oh, yum. <laughs> Congratulations on season four of Accountants on Purpose. Tell us what led you to create the podcast and what some of the great things that have come out of it for you. Sure. So we act for clients that have a purpose higher than profit, I mentioned before. And a great lead stream for my business from a marketing point of view is we get referrals from accountants because clients often tell their accountants when they're planning on a new a joint venture or uh, some sort or they're employing a new doctor. We work with lots of medical practices. So we find that accountants are a great referral partner. And so I wanted to find a way that would nurture them and get their stories out there. And also, as a junior lawyer, I just didn't have clarity over what my options were as I progressed in the profession. And so I wanted junior accountants to have this resource, which is now, as I said, four seasons in, to be able to hear from accountants that are winning at their game and what drives them and how they work with their teams. And so the accountants have found it a really helpful resource in hiring and, um, yeah, using their own kind of marketing channels for their reasons. So it's been a, a really good project. Yeah, and I think it's great. I mean, I, I'm an accountant by occupation. I work as a financial advisor and have done for 10 years, but yes. I don't think that sort of resource was there. And it was always my perception as an accountant that people thought that you were very conservative. And I think there's been some real gold come out of your, you know, discussions with accountants. And the other thing that came to mind as you were speaking then, Sarah, was that I was just having a chat with another lawyer yesterday and saying, you know, financial advisors and accountants and lawyers, you know, really are under that sort of allied professional umbrella and that 
for me as a financial advisor, you know, if I see something, I've got to say something and, you know, discuss, you know, potentially legal concepts with people and make people aware of what they don't know and then yeah. refer them off to a lawyer to get the advice and get the, you know, the formal documentation that's needed and likewise for accountants. And I think that that's the way it works because how do your clients know what they don't know? Exactly. It is very challenging. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been getting a whole bunch of questions about people who have um, business names and people are registering very similar business names and they're like, stop them. And without a trademark, it's actually very difficult and very expensive to to stop them. And I was like, why don't people know this? Exactly. Why, at what point do, does there need to be an intervention to avoid this happening? And the only way to do that is really to for people like yourself and me to speak up and have our voice heard on such mm -hmm. matters and, and you know give a lot of free value because you know that sort of stuff comes back. I mean, I guess people might call it karma, but you know what goes around comes around is how I like to think of it. So the theme of uh, this season of finesse your money is more than money. What does that mean to you and how does that translate to how you work with your clients? Uh, good question. I um, I think that people don't just want to work and, and get more of what they've already got nowadays. And so that's why we have a client focus of clients who have a purpose that is greater than just making profit. They want to be doing good in the world in a way other than, than making money. And an example is we had a medical practice saying, you know, we're in rural Australia and we want to support our local community by making as many jobs as we can. So there's different ways that people can give back and just if they're alive to them, then they're probably a good fit for us and we just want to help amplify that so that they can be protected and make the impact that they want to in the world. That's interesting you mentioned that um, my uh, licensee FYG planners, they're based in Tassie and people go, why are they based in Tassie? Well, that's because that's where they are. And I was speaking to Peter Mansell and you can jump back and listen to one of the podcasts from earlier in the year. And Peter was saying it gives him such purpose and great feelings and joy. It makes him feel joyful, really, that he's been able to help employ so many people, not just in Tasmania and Bernier in his area, but, you know, right across Australia because there's about 80 financial advisors in the group. And, you know, that, that really cemented for me that people are looking for more meaning and more purpose and more connection and, you know, it, it's much more fulfilling way of, of living and doing business, really. And also having people be able to focus on what else is important to them. So I'm in a six-day lockdown in SA at the moment. My kids are here, my hubby's here, and maybe I'll finish work today at three o'clock and, and that's fine. I, I'll, I'll make up time or I'll not make up time. It, it's really up to me. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the beauty of having a business that allows you to live life around, you know, the life that you want, <laughs> you know, live life, have a life. I think so many people um, in generations gone by have, you know, worked so long to, to reach that, you know, magic day when they retire. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's not about that, is it? It's about actually living life as, as you're going through life. <laughs> exactly. 
So over 2020, jobless rates have obviously increased with COVID and so forth. Um, so back in 2015, you mentioned that you were redundant and went on to establish this successful business, um, Ulegal. I mentioned my position's been made redundant in the past. It's happened a couple of times in my career. So tell us more about that experience and, and if you have some tips for listeners who are thinking about going down the route of starting their own business. So would you like to know more about being made redundant or more about my startup? Oh, I guess more about the startup. <laughs> sure. So the day after I was made redundant, I started my firm. So what I had done in the four weeks notice that I was given was make sure that I had an entity created so that it wasn't just me in my own name as my firm, worked out what the law society required of me so that when I, I could basically hit the ground running. And at that time, all I needed was a laptop. So I got a new laptop and had my email set up. And I made the mistake early on of naming the business after myself. So I called it SJB Legal. And I wasn't sleeping very well with a new baby, obviously, and kind of have all these creative thoughts. And one of mine was, if I had named this business after me, going through getting all the domain names, doing the branding, like getting the logo, all the things that you need to do when you start a new business. I just thought this is a mistake. After I'd already started, I need to name my business after the people that we serve, mm. not after me, because I don't want people to think that if they're getting anyone other than me, that they're getting an inferior service. Interesting. But I had a feeling at that stage that, I was going to be starting to take on new lawyers. So, yeah, so that pivoted very quickly. But everything that I learned in that first mistake, I guess, was made the next stage so much easier and quicker and more professional. And I knew what to invest money in. Then I really invested in a logo and brand and brand colours. I really understood brand colours. And... Also, what I learned quite early on is you don't have a business without sales. Revenue. <laughs> Which is so, like, you need to find at least one person whose problem you can solve mm. with your service. And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs who are just starting out, that is revolutionary. Like, that you actually have to talk to someone, solve their problem, and then sell to them. Like, I used to so dislike getting on the phone to people for that. I guess I had, I don't know, I just didn't want to do it. I just thought, oh, if people will come to me if they need me. But that doesn't happen. <laughs> so It doesn't yeah. necessarily, and I completely yeah. agree. I often talk to people about the fact that, you know, it's easy to get distracted and go down a rabbit hole, spending a lot of energy on creating this gargantuan business, you know, mm -hmm. getting your design perfect and everything else it's okay to make mistakes and you know you learn from those and move forward you know unless a mistake is ending the business or ending you um it, it can be rectified and you can move on to other things plenty of people exactly. have had businesses that have failed or rebranded or whatever it is and they go on to be very successful the critical thing is that you haven't got a business, you've potentially got a hobby unless you've got some clients and revenue. And so don't get distracted. You know, I, I know early on in my business, I was attending lots of networking events and things like that, but I wasn't really seeing the benefit of it. I didn't know how to translate that into real 
customers or clients and real revenue. And of course, that's what was necessary to, you know, have the business and have it move forward. So great mm. tip, Sarah. I recently read an insight from you, Sarah, discussing embellished CVs, which I found fascinating. What are the problems and implications for individuals and businesses where that has happened? Good question. It, it's one of those lawyer answers that it depends on the industry that people are in and, and, and it depends on the level of embellishing, I suppose, but it's pretty common amongst job keepers, I think. I don't think there's a problem with sprinkling little extra details in CVs. And I guess what, what we're facing um, this year is, is, a, is a tough job market. So you kind of understand it. But about 50% of the population do put little misleading or inflated comments in their CV. So it's a great topic because they're, it, it's so prolific, I suppose, is, the, is a good, um, good way to explain it. So what do you think the future of work looks like post-COVID, Sarah? That's a good question because I'm here in Adelaide. Up until this week, we've had a pretty good go at everything since I started the business. Seven years ago, we've had a remote team. So not much has happened for us. We do have an in-the-office team who are really missing hanging out this week. But, you know, hopefully it's short-term pain. So I think that organisations that haven't embraced remote work will start to embrace remote work more. It's hard to know, like, what is post-COVID? Is it after there's a vaccine? And I just, I think this is with us for a long time. I agree. I don't know what post-COVID is either. It could go on for a very long time. And it certainly put a halt. Victoria, of course, seems to have suffered the worst domestically. But as you say, you know, businesses that previously completely rejected the notion of remote working, I think we'll see a lot more embracing of that. And, you know, my, one of my concerns from, you know, an investor point of view is that, there, you know, there was obviously a, a slowdown in retail, but now commercial property and so on, what does that look like going forward? You know, is there all of a sudden an oversupply? And so, you know, investors aren't going to get the returns they want. But um, I guess in the fullness of time, we'll know. It's a very different time. Don't we all wish we had a crystal ball right now? <laughs> yes. So if you're enjoying listening to Sarah and want to hear more, head over to her Accountants on Purpose channel. You'll even find an interview with me. Yes, look for it. <laughs> look for it. What is possibilizing? Oh, possibilizing is what I did my TED Talk on. It's about how entrepreneurs take something that is impossible and they make it possible. So I think of it like a kind of landscape where possible is in the middle and on one side it's impossible and on the other side it's possible and entrepreneurs play on this side between impossible and possible and they tip things over to the other side and they do it in the face of people telling them that things aren't possible they just can see it on the possibility horizon and, and they keep pushing so an example is Bill Gates back in the 80s said that he imagined a computer on the desk of every home in America. And that seemed crazy at the time because computers at that time cost about as much as cars. They were big. People really didn't know what they would use them for. And I don't know about you, but here we are 30 years later, 40 years later. I've got, I don't know, I'm like looking at six computers right now. 
just in this room. So I think Bill Gates has kind of well and truly possibilised that. And now he's working on other things like eliminating diseases and really helping the developing world um, be lifted up through that disease control. And empowering women. Yeah, it's a really interesting concept, isn't it? I think I read something recently that you know, um, possibilizing to me a great example is somebody had the idea they could put the man on the moon. Yes, right. And now Elon is moving a, a great possibilizer to to having people live in space. Exactly, and so those are fantastic examples of possibilizing. So, Sarah, what can listeners do to raise awareness and or support causes that aim to solve significant world problems? What can they do? Mm. I think working out, like actually finding the um, UN's Sustainable Development Goals really helped me in working out what I wanted to do to be able to make a bigger impact. Before that, you know, lawyers give back in different ways through doing pro bono work and we've been giving to different organisations where I sold my books and it was just really fragmented and so finding that sustainable development goals made me work out which ones really were going to make a big, like which ones were closest to my values I suppose and that which areas I wanted to make a difference in like education is one, helping women is another one so it was quite cool and then I found a platform called B1G1 and buy one give one and then I, my team actually chose our first, so we do a different one each year. So we did the Indigenous Hub the first year and it was a great kind of team bonding experience as well that where they could vote on what was important to them that fitted within our overall new legal goals and values. And each time we send out, we do, every time we send out a book, every time a client is referred to us, every time there's a birthday of someone in our community, we give to that cause. So this year we actually chose the bushfire-affected communities because uh, we, we do it in January and that was a really big news story at the time uh, and we were just devastated for the people who'd been affected by the bushfires in January and I'm, I'm sure they're still kind of coming through to the other side, especially with what's happened with the pandemic this year. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I have to agree. The UN Global Goals really helped me focus in on, on where my, you know, true passion for providing support was. And then, of course, I use B1G1 platform as well. It just makes it so easy to give on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, as, as you say, you know, giving for each new client or referral or, you know, whatever you choose and getting your team involved is just, you know, very rewarding because I think it, it just increases engagement within your business exponentially. Yes. Yeah, on all levels. Yeah, it does. So I consider you an influencer. What are the top three challenges that influencers face? Oh, my goodness. You can't say that and ask that question. I don't consider myself an influencer, but I can see from influencers that I see uh, on different platforms. I could probably guess at what their problems are. I think that um, trolls is a really big problem and when I see some influencers engaging with them, I'm just like, just turn your phone off. Like, is this going to feel as big a deal in the morning or in a year is how I like to think about it. So, Sarah, I really think you underestimate yourself as an influencer, but let's move on. (laughs) 
How important is it to back or invest in oneself and what are the biggest risks taken or investments that you've made, Sarah? It's a really great question coming from a financial planner. I think investing in yourself is actually the most important thing to do. But I think as women, we can invest in lots and lots of different qualifications and without actually really strategizing about it. So I think there's a couple of layers to it, like working out what you want big picture. Is this going there? For example, I got a graduate diploma in applied corporate governance because many years before I became the goddess of governance, I saw real value in getting deep expertise in that particular area. And then following on from that a few years later, I did the AICD company director's course, which one of my boards paid half for. So that helped to complement that and helps kind of grow that goddess of governance idea as well. If I'm continually learning and growing, then it's hard for others to kind of catch up if they want to if they want to copy you. Mm. And I think that's a really important point. I think that it's really good to take a step back and really see the big picture. I know I've done it myself in my career. You know, you've got credentials coming out your wazoo, but are they meaningful to the direction that you're really taking in your career? It can be hard for people to to do that though, can't it? Oh, I can because we all get there's this whole notion of sunk costs. We've sunk the costs. We've got to finish it. We've got to keep going. You become prideful about it to some extent, I think. And, you know, it's sometimes you've just got to say, it's okay to cut the losses. I've changed my direction. I, I want to go somewhere else. It's okay to get off and get on a different bus or train. And that's a really good message for doctors, I think. So my a, a big client area for us and we see they invest so much time in their education that first six years and then they specialize and my one of my best friends is a doctor she became a gp so that's a specialization and then it wasn't what she thought Mm. it was great when her kids were small and she had time flexibility she could work in theory two days but the reality is you have to chase pathologies and there's other things to do in that time so she's now a dermatologist so she's gone back and been studying thankfully they get paid to study but it's just just when I think of the time and the stress doing exams it's it's crazy. Well, speaking of doctors, um, a lot of my clients are dentists. And of course, being a financial advisor and uh, post-Royal Commission, every financial advisor in the country has had to go back to school to re-credentialise themselves and meet the current standards. But I get a bit annoyed because no one sent every doctor or dentist or lawyer in the country back to school. Um, So it's been, you know, it's proving quite difficult. And, you know, as a member of the Financial Planning Association and um, Financial Planning Specialist with CPA, I'm seeing um, masses, en masse, financial advisors leaving the industry because they don't want to meet um, the, the new standards because... Well, there were some that never had really any. Oh, well, that's true. You know, that used to be going... good for your industry. Oh, it's good. It's good to that extent. You know, somebody could be a plumber one day and or a hairdresser and 
go off and get their diploma and start, you know, hang up a shingle. So certainly it's going to weed out that or, or send those people back to school. But I'm, you know, to some extent, many people have been working in the industry for many, many years and have had to go back and, and not just do, you know, a little bridging course and an exam, but, you know, years worth of study, 600 hours worth of study to get up. To, and, you know, when you're in your 50s or 60s, that doesn't seem very appealing. <laughs> Understandably, particularly if you've been effective at financial planning, maybe at that stage you don't have to you're for your own stuff. <laughs> yeah, and so for me, uh, you know, I just look at it and I say, look, I think it's created a big gap. I think overall it's for the good of the industry and certainly I, I've stuck in there and I'm going through doing the hard yards, but for many people they couldn't see the value in it. As you say, if if they, you know, had, had done their job well for themselves personally, they might have been out, but I think it's really important to give back to the younger generations coming through in the mm. industry because... For me, uh, there's actually now a professional year that you have to have. And uh, so for me, I think about when I moved from being an accountant, a CPA across to being a financial advisor, I think it really took about three years till I was comfortable that I I knew what I knew and I could speak freely about it. And, you know, I, I wasn't phased by anything that, that um, was presented in front of me. So... You know, I think I've got a few years in me to, to help get some new great financial advisors through modern day era. <laughs> so what does financial freedom mean to you, Sarah? I have a goal with my husband that we want to have a certain number in investments and then we will retire. So we're actually really strategic and directed about what that number is because then we know that we'll be getting if all remains the same, um, dividends and funds through not our, just our work, that's enough for us to maintain our current standard of living. And then I think from that, we'll create what's next, what that freedom looks like. And I don't imagine that being not working. It's funny, people who own businesses mindset versus employee mindset. We have a friend who we talk to about our investments and I was saying, uh, like, I guess I want to be on boards and give back and make a difference and, and do stuff at the kids' school more than I do now. So that's sort of what freedom looks like to me, maybe doing more guest presenting because my time will be more open than it is now. And my friend who we talk about investments with is like no you just go to the market and have a coffee and I feel like I can do that whenever I want now anyway mm. so it was just a really interesting perspective to have what he thought freedom was which is you know going for a run during the day and having a coffee without anyone wondering where you are versus how I was looking at it. Yeah, that is interesting. And I, I have to say that almost every person I speak to has a different perspective on it. And so it sounds like in your case, your husband and yourself get together and talk about it, which is fantastic. I, I advocate that with all of my clients. In fact, all of my listeners should be doing that too. And, you know, just really choice. It sounds like it's the choice and that you can then use your time in an impactful or purposeful way and connecting with people. And it's incredible 
the number of people that I speak to when first coming to myself or any other financial advisor that don't know that number that they want to achieve. Yeah, well, it's not incredible. I don't think anyone teaches you what it is. Educating people around that, it's important to understand what it is that you need and what's important to you before you go on the journey of how do I get that? Yes. <laughs> um, so have you discovered the benefits of financial planning? So it sounds like you get together with your husband and you do it. You haven't done anything formal. We have in the past done formal. So we've got all our insurances through and a financial planner and we have seen a number over the years for direction um, on a kind of pay-by-the-hour perspective. Uh, so yeah that's what's worked for us but we have very different styles when it comes to money so having that regular catch-up we do it once a month to talk about how everything's going and um, how like what else we need to do so he's really big on those like little tweaks that make a big difference but that we're still getting a joy out of our lives so you know he'll buy fresh raspberries whereas I immediately go and think oh that's a waste of money like we could get frozen ones or we don't need berries and he kind of will do an expounded number of how much it will cost us over the year versus what we spend on other things like maybe we stop going out for dinner two nights a week and we just go out for dinner one night a week a really good person to have on board but sometimes he takes a really long time and just like over analyzes everything and I'm just like let's just go let's do it come on <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> my husband's ruined many a holiday because he hasn't wanted to spend money and it's like you're here you're on the other side of the world I don't want to spend the next five years talking about what we should have done <laughs> we just need to do it and enjoy ourselves but I think it's really important to have those conversations so Sarah, we're coming to a close now, but what are three legal mistakes you see people make time and again and, and what are your top tips for them to avoid them? Not protecting their intellectual property is a big one. So at, you can do that through confidentiality agreement in the first instance, which is a really good just general document for all business people to have. The second one is not having terms and conditions on how they're engaging with people because if the cost of getting them versus the cost of a dispute, it's crazy to not have them. And so when people come to us and say, you know, we, we aren't getting paid because of this and we don't have terms and conditions, it just makes everything harder and more expensive. And the third one is probably one that you engage with people about, but making sure that their personal succession documents are in place and up to date. Uh, and I know there can be really big, personal blocks on having these sorts of documents drawn up. I, I don't suggest using a legal will kit, particularly if you have a business. I think uh, it's worth getting professional advice on that. And you also, I'm not a wills lawyer, but you also find out things that you don't know you don't know, like you were mentioning before, like other documents that can be helpful. Many times I speak to prospective clients and they tell me that they don't have their estate plan in place. But particularly for businesses, they overlook that they might have some structures in place and they're not protected. What happens if something happens to you as the director of the company? Uh, or unit holders agreement or partnership agreement in writing. Yeah. Uh, it just again, it's just sensible. Um, it's sensible business practice and sensible life practice to have those documents in place. 
So good tips. Thank you for sharing those. So where can we find you online? And obviously you've got your Accountants on Purpose podcast. We'll drop all those in the show notes. But how can people connect with you, Sarah? Find me or connect with me on LinkedIn. So my my name is hard to spell, but it will be in the show notes. Or I think even if you look up Goddess and Governance, hopefully you'll find me that way. <laughs> awesome. So if you've enjoyed listening to Sarah and want to hear more, head over to a wildly successful and informative podcast channel, Accountants on Purpose. There's three seasons already there for you to binge on and a new episode's added every every second week. If you'd like more information about Finesse Financial Advisors, please go to our website, www finesseadvisors.com and if you'd like to book an obligation free discovery session with me you can book on our website too that brings us to a close thank you so much sarah for joining us it's just been such a delight speaking to you stay well yes you too hope you enjoyed the show today and have some action steps you can take right now to get control of your money join me janine wilson next time for finesse your money Meantime, head to my website, www.finesseadvisors.com or email me at admin at finesseadvisors.com to claim a gift voucher for a discovery session with me valued at $150. Make sure you put gift voucher in the headline.